0: Welcome to the All Black Digital African Special. I'm Jackie Queens, joined here today by Carl Craig, Msaki and Foster as we celebrate Black History Month. It's been a very exciting program with a variety of conversations happening around the techno scene in the US and today we're going to be focusing on Africa, on electronic music here and the importance of African music to electronic music in general. So I'm going to start with our very esteemed guest. Of course, everyone is esteemed. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming through today, Carl. Um, I think a good start would be, what for you is the significance of All Black Digital being here in Constitution Hill, performing at a very historic place, and, you know, the connection between Africa, Detroit, what does it mean to you?
1: Well, all black digital is a um, natural progression from what I started last year, which was all black vinyl, and all black vinyl was, uh, again, a celebration of Black History Month, um, but it was a, a double meaning and because I'm a Gemini, I like double meanings and stuff. So all black vinyl, uh, most vinyl is black, but it was also black music played uh, for the whole month. Each each day of February was a different tune. And this year, since we are working together with Beatport and Beat Portal uh, that doesn't sell vinyl, all black digital makes more sense in, in that way. So uh, Celebrating black music uh, in the United States is one thing, but celebrating black music from the roots of where black music comes from, which is Africa, is even better. So I'm really happy and proud to be here, with uh, with all of my uh, all of this, the descendants from similar ancestors, <laughs> and. Uh, you know this is this is uh, an amazing thing. So it's important to be in Africa. It's important to be in, in South Africa, in Joburg here, um, and to uh, be inspired and influenced by you know what you guys are, are doing here, which is which is uh, um, I would probably have to say uh, definitely a more pure form of. Of black music than, than what we have in the United States.
2: I would even I would even contest that on, on some levels because, you know, I think the colonial project here was so successful that we are always trying to fight to f- remember what we had. You know, mm-hmm. um, I grew up being taught Eva and Elvis, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like I can, if you wake me up at three o'clock, I can sing you any song by the Beatles, mm-hmm. and that was my education. So. We were talking even on our walk how like, you know, the whitewashing in the education systems was quite cunning and thorough and it, ca- it came with a cultural erasure and we are now relearning ourselves and the power that I'm finding as an artist is that I can still trace these sounds and I can still go to these instruments and I can still access this wealth and this cultural heritage that we have. But it's almost like a back project for us, this generation. Mm-hmm. Because we grew up listening to Whitney Houston and we grew up with really consuming what the West Gave as 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 kind of more important than what we had, and so when when you say a purer form, it is because it's always been and it's going to be pure because it's 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 us and it's and it's originally from here. But um, a lot of the practitioners now and the musicians and the 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 artists are rediscovering the cultural heritage after being, yeah, after really have like operating in a sense of loss and a place of loss and a place of not valuing what we have. So there's an awakening, but it's
1: and this is part of yeah. my experience that I have to, to be able to get being here because, you know, of course we have a romanticized view of Africa mm-hmm. being black a black man from Detroit, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh yeah, going back to Africa, going back to my roots, going back to this, going back to that. But then you come here and, you know, nobody's on the corner playing playing drums. <laughs> no. You know, they're it's watching it's
2: MTV at mm-hmm. home right now.
1: They're watching MTV. Yeah. So, you know, this. we're
2: watching you guys. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> it's a
2: beautiful thing, but it's also like it's it's so nice to have that conversation and to see um, I was talking the other day about how Black Motion, Black Motion is a South African, you know, Black Motion, They're like a, a house duo and they reference Bossa Nova a lot. Mm. And people are, like have this a historical view of how music and sound is traveled. Mm-hmm. And um, someone was making a comment about how like I, 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 I wrote a song with them called Boy from Sosha mm-hmm. right? And it's based on Antonio Carlos Jobim's girl Bossa Nova, gip, gip, Girl from Ipanema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to show that like Black Motion has brought the, the idea of Bossa to um, modern South African um, house consumers. But we, Black Motion doesn't know that Bossa comes from here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like where I was talking to Murder, and he was like, yeah. I'm like, you know, Bossa is from Africa. And he's like, no, I thought it was from then. I'm like, well, this is how it moves around. And, and so it's interesting how we think that we're referencing something, but we're all referencing each other because essentially this is how sound was traveled, and this is how what we need to understand the diaspora.
1: And these, these styles um, came from Africa, but of course, they got to the Americas via the slave ships, mm-hmm. you know, so things change. I don't know how long the uh, the ride was from going from you know the the western part of Africa to whatever the first places that they landed, whether that was Jamaica, and then it would go. You'd either go north or you go south, you know, or you went through Portugal or however however the the routes were. But as I grow older, um, you know part of the education, the maturity, is to pay attention to, to the education. Like, uh, there's, a, there's a ditch in, in Lisbon that uses collard greens in it. And we all thought collard greens was a specifically American slave thing, you know? But then you find out later that collars were in ancient Rome, you know? So there's there's these things that come over that we grab as our own, and then there's other things that come over that other people grab as their own, and then is resent back and repackaged as it being you know maybe a, you know a, a white Brazilian thing, but it comes from you know Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, on the flip side of things, uh,
3: just coming back to
1: Musaki's point, you know,
3: us growing up, obviously <clears throat> being exposed to international music, uh, it's for me, I, I've seen it as us as as, as Africans being fortunate because now you start seeing the change that the whole world is looking at Africa because we, we, we've always been behind. I always make an example of Cape Town, for example, uh, geographically to Johannesburg. Johannesburg has always been seen as the moving city with the music and everyone in Cape Town kind of like being laid back. So everyone's kind of like being showing us what is it they, they can do. And here comes now Africans taking everything and putting it together and creating it in our own way. So in a way, you know, but it's debatable, but I feel it's been fortunate for us to kind of like, you know, be the last ones because now we we know what every other region in the world can do, but they don't know
1: what we can offer. Mm. But that, from what you're saying, in an American sense, is what rap is. So you're talking about that you knew all the Beatles stuff, but um, I mean, Man Machine from Kraftwerk, you know, um, uh, 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 Trans Europe Express, Numbers from Kraftwerk, Africa Mambata took that music and flipped it into what has become hip hop and, and rap music, you know, so you guys are taking your influences that were from here but you're also taking those other influences and then you have the possibility to make something that could be that next global cultural phenomena and I'd love to see that
2: yeah I think it was also just that realization but this this all happens in you know it happens in retrospect that when we were looking at America as the more important voice and the more you know the more media publicized voice and we're seeing rap music. We're also there's we're not we we get to other that, but now we understand that actually we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at people that left and, and 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 mutated a sound and a disposition spiritually, sonically. There's so many influences and so many links to what we inherently do, you know. But now what's what I think is interesting is these movements that you're talking about, where, I, I you know I've I've got two minds about it. I think it's a beautiful thing when African cultural practitioners um whether they're in America or Africa or Brazil or anywhere, have to have these projects and these missions to take back sounds. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a part of me that's like we shouldn't be making, you know, from a on, on a back foot where we're always having to reclaim because we're being appropriated all the time. But there's also a beauty in that power and that reminding that hey, what you thought was special and, 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 and not you has been you all along. You know, the same way that young people in the South of America are taking back country and and Mm. bluegrass and saying, this was taken from us. This is our, you know, and the same way that techno has been taken back, the same way that rock and roll people are saying, man, Muddy Waters, before the White Stripes and before the Rolling Stones and before all of those people we had, this was our music. And just because the media will will, will tell a different story. I mean, the Rolling Stones know that they come from Muddy Waters but the the narrative is that like you listen to perfect circle and two and you think that it's a it's a white thing and you can't relate mm. but but it's this is the the this is this full circle moment where you realize that you've been part of everything all the time you're not the one that's left behind actually mm. yeah
0: mm. I love that you say that because I mean everything that you've all spoken about really speaks to like the migration of of music um and when I was, was thinking about this talk today, I remembered a friend of mine who was telling me about um, Mani Dubango, you know, the Soma Kosa song. And there's a story that it used it was played quite often in Paradise um, Garage and, and, and my friend was saying to me, well, you know, that like when people think of house music, they're talking about Africa being inserted into it now, but from the very beginning, it was there you know, because Manu Dibango then came disco and like he had a very huge influence on how the disco movement sort of moved and now you're talking about, um, you know, South African artists drawing from international music, you were saying that as well, so I feel what's really happening is that there's a migration, you know, music itself is migrational, culture is migrational, and I guess the question is for us in South Africa, you know, um, there's a lot that is in the international sphere that we are kind of influencing from a house music perspective, from an um, um, a piano perspective, I mean jazz as well and different kinds of genres. Um, so I guess my question is, um, how do you see um, the future for South African music? Like what are the, the sort of opportunities that you think we have available to us in this position that we're in right now where people are listening to us?
3: I think, I think we stand a great, a great a chance. Uh, I mean, as, as, as Carl mentioned earlier on, you know that, you know, there's something missing, you know, we're always looking for something new, especially being in the industry. And I think the Africans now have the chance, you know, to change the game, you know, to introduce new stuff. And, and this comes from as much as I mentioned earlier on that we've seen what Europe does, what America does, all, all of these countries, and now the ball is in our court, you know? It's about time now we start changing. I, I love what my piano are currently doing, slowly but surely getting into like into the world, you know? And I, I guess also one biggest problem that I always have is when, when we try to, to kind of like make our products, like for instance, I'm a piano, trying to take in, I'm a piano and trying to formalize it. Yes, the industry, the, the business side needs to be formalized, but the rawness of our sounds, you know, that's how people like it. Mm-hmm. And I think the world needs to accept it in that way. It's kind of like trying to take a song that's been made out of a bedroom. I mean, my piano is mostly influenced out of out of that and putting it in a bigger studio. You know, you'll never get the same sound. If you start compressing that, that bass line, it's never going to sound the same, you know. So it's about the world and us being, you know, being being proud of and being confident and saying this is how it is, this is how it should be accepted.
2: No, 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 please. No, I have have something to say to that as a person who doesn't, you know, who's interested in genres for, you know, for admin purposes, but doesn't respect them sonically. Um, And I guess when I say I don't respect them, I I don't, I I just, I, I find that it's easy to dissolve in different kinds of genres because, you know, two chords and I'm gone, you know. But when I think about, how I- interesting it is when a genre becomes the mainstream sound or takes over you know i remember when was the thing and what i started liking to see was how if a sound sticks around long enough you start getting these interesting sub-genres because everybody has to interact with it and then you see a jazz pianist like Duduzo Makatini doing something on piano, and you you start to see these mutations and i think that's how music goes forward yeah um as a person who's interested in that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm like always in the practical space thinking, hey, I, I like the sound. I'm open to it. I'm going there. And, but I'm bringing, mm. what am I bringing? That's different. I'm True. a singer-songwriter. I'm a storyteller. So now we're writing like country, I'm a piano. You don't, you exactly. don't know what's going to happen, yeah. but that's, that is letting the, the genre dissolve. That's letting it mutate. That's letting the sound go forward. Yeah. Hearing Georgia Smith or um, Will I Am on a, I'm a piano beat, that's interesting yeah. to me. That should happen. Nobody should be afraid of that and say, no, Amapiano should stay a certain way. Mm. Hearing Wizkid on an Amapiano beat and watching Nigeria make it their national sound. Sure. That should happen. We should be able to claim whatever we, we're resonating with. People from Detroit should feel en- entitled to Amapiano and not feel like I'm a visitor in the sound. Mm, because mm. there are sonic elements that will trace back. If we go to Kwaito, we'll find out where it came from. Maybe it came from 45 ppm. Yeah. <coughs> Maybe 45 ppm came from... Um, I don't know, mid-tempo disco, yeah. disco came from Earth, Wind and Fire. You'll find yourself located somewhere. So my, my, my thought is always like, don't feel locked out of any genre. Sure. Don't feel like you're a visitor in any genre. Don't feel like you have no part to play in any story. Um, and anybody that tries to own a space or sonic space, it, you know, it's, it's always to be investigated. Sure. Yeah. Mm.
0: That's very interesting. I mean, if you think about sort of, like Carl was talking about taking back techno, like where does that fit in that conversation? I love it. (laughs) Like just in sort of, like just as a response to what Msaki has just said, because obviously we cannot be um, precious about the genres that we create, right? We can't do that. Um, You know, music is is meant to be shared. Um, At the same time, at what point, um, do we say, "Well, you know this is our our heritage. this is something that belongs to us as as black people, and how do we sort of engage in that conversation about the growth and the proliferation of something and it just sort of going into a different direction or being as it were appropriated by other people
1: well i've I've never restricted myself to a genre you know i've I've been able to work with some of the most amazing jazz musicians on jazz records. <laughs> you know, the, the Tribe album, the Detroit Experiment album, um, which actually was a cross-genre thing. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of music over the years, but there is something that you have to give to authenticity. Okay. And by having a pop star do a track that's based on something that might be more underground Could take that authenticity away from it and actually forge something that makes that artist look like a fraud. So they have to be very careful about when they cross genres, you know, because that could be a make or break for somebody's career. You know, Mm. he might Mm. be big in South Africa, and then the minute he does a South African style track, it's just like, this guy's a fake. Yeah, we don't, (laughs) we want the real him, we don't want him messing with our stuff, you know. So, um, you know, the, the idealistic uh, aspect of, of uh, being able to cross genres is, is amazing and I'm totally with it, but unfortunately the reality of what comes into it, it takes a lot more to, um, to even convince somebody to make that possible, you know. So somebody like Quincy Jones could walk in and say, like, okay, you know what? We're gonna to try to make a track and we're gonna do something a little different. And they're like, Quincy, we love you. We trust you. We know you did, ba- you know, we- you did Thriller, you did Bad, you did, you know, you did uh, Off the Wall. We know we're gonna make a hit out of this. Okay, Quincy, let's do it. You know, not everybody has that juice
2: yeah no i'm being a i'm being an agitator and i'm also like um you know it's just a philosophical submission that Mm -hmm. if you have an idea of any kind of history you'll find a meeting point or a dissolving point but you need to do it with humility you need to do it with reverence you can't do it with a spirit of just wanting to replicate and gain something from it um what comes to mind just because i've seen how things can be done honorably, like there's a, a movement here in, in, in the South African live scene, right, where young white, white rock bands will be playing like African music and calling it things like Indie mm-hmm. Bele, and, and it's like, oh, what are you doing? But sometimes that same thing can happen with a lot of reverence, where Derek Gripper is a, is a white classically trained guitarist who's going to study choral music, and he will go and learn the music of Matt Dorsini, who plays that instrument I was showing you that looks like a berimbau. And will sonically revere that and re give it as Derek Ripper without saying, I'm trying to be African, or I mean, I'm trying to be Mat or I'm taking this and, and giving it in a, in a non honorable context. I think there's space for that. I think there's a space to reimagine things with honor. But I also think that the thing that you're talking about, where people can sense the authentic- authenticity, mm-hmm. is the fact that people are intelligent spiritually and they're intelligent creatively. They can sense the posture of heart when something is created. Mm. If you're doing it with reverence, there will be clues when they're listening to it in the speaker. They, don't e- they won't even know what it is that's irritating them, but they'll be like, mm. something is not making sense here.
1: Okay, so mm. in, in relation to that...
2: Yeah, but, but this is just a, an opinion I have.
1: In yeah. relation to that, Graceland, Paul Simon.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why did you have to go there? Because now I'm like, <laughs> I'm listening.
1: Yeah, we are in Yo. South Africa. We have to, I have to, dis, this, yeah. this is all black digital. We gotta, we gotta go there. No. So please. is that something where, cause it was a big hit in the US. Mm-hmm. I don't know how big it was, you know, around Europe or whatever and in Africa, yeah. but you know, from your points of view, from the generations that we're in, in comparison to maybe your parents that might've heard it when it, you know, might've paid attention to it when it came out in 1986 or 85 or whenever that was. So what, what do you, what's, what's the clue? Is that all? Did he do a good job or was it just some commercial schlock? Oh man.
0: Wow. Um, That's putting people on the spot. Really. (laughs) I I actually don't want to make a response to that in particular, right? As, as, to, to that in particular but i'm gonna i'm gonna like sort of tie that into what msaki was saying right and i think i'll speak of my own experience of of being a house music vocalist and having to learn the history of house music right and for the longest time it was just really important for me and it still is actually right now to educate myself and to know exactly where the music came from. Like, more than anything, I have to know how, like what were the roots, and then obviously delving into it, I learned, okay, this queer culture, like was a, a big part of the roots of, of house music, and you know, and whenever I approach my work in that way, I'm thinking, how, how am I sort of paying homage to that, and how, m- how am I not agno- acknowledging the history of that. So when you talk about grace <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just like I don't see that. That for me was like like in my response I feel like that is not something that I saw immediately in the music and I've o- well for me personally that that particular record I kind of felt was like cheesy or whatever. Um and it really, for me, kind of questioned what I would think would be an acceptable way to be influenced by <laughs> something <laughs> and then to produce something out of it. Um, yeah, like that's been a very difficult like, question for me because while I understand that, you know, people need to be reverent, people need to know the history, um, it's very difficult for me to say, no, you can't make that.
2: I think, okay, I'll try to keep it brief, but where you are saying th- the history is, it's is, is important to know the history, it's also the how. How did Paul Simon roll out his project? Mm-hmm. And uh, that holds a position of dark and light for me, where mm-hmm. you've got you've to be like, okay, Paul Simon came, he played his guitar, he liked these songs, he based it on a, and a vibe and as a, soo- you know, a sound from South Africa, but he had Ray Peary in his band, they mm-hmm. toured together. He took, he really wanted the sound to be authentically represented. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said about that that could also be another form of exploitation but i think when i hear the relationships and the and the honor and the respect and the equality like you know it was a you how you do something is important as well and i know even an accordion player who's now in cape town who was taken into that band and they toured they were able to change um, a soundscape they were able to make something that is supposedly niche in south africa a global sound i don't think that's altogether negative And because you honoured people, you honoured families, and you did things well. I don't know all the stories. I never met Paul Simon, Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm just I I happen to know a few people that my one my one friend is 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 the daughter of Ray Perry. She probably has more to say about how they were treated, and I don't know the ins and outs. But it, from a person who's just listening from the outside, it sounds like it could have been done in reverence. It sounds like it could have been done respecting where the sound comes from mm-hmm. and giving a platform to highlight where it comes from. Mm-hmm. It would have also been nice if Paul Simon would have had, you know, a, a double header with Ray Peary's band, mm-hmm. but we don't know what the politics of the time were. Yeah. We don't know what the logistical constraints were, but I think there was an attempt to do things yeah. well and I mm-hmm. can accept that. Yeah,
3: yeah, and also like just that the outcomes of it, you know, we, don't, we, we obviously won't have the full story of the benefits, how it benefited, you know, the locals who probably, by having Paul Simon there, <coughs> it brought the rest of the band, you know, to the to the world, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously benefited out of that. So it's quite a difficult one, uh, but I think the importance is why did they do it, mm-hmm. you know? And unfortunately, we can't answer that. Yeah.
2: But that's a bigger that's a bigger thing about why do we need a Paul Simon to amplify an African sound? Yeah. If, right. right.
1: Well, yeah. with with, I mean, with the creation of of ideas and music and stuff. I wouldn't doubt that Paul Simon wrote some songs, tried to do them in the studio and was like, this doesn't sound right. It needs some African in it. And you know, who's the most famous Af- African that's making music? Okay, well, Hugh Masekela, you know? And then it's like listening to Hugh Masekela records and then maybe doing the research or having the people around that said, yeah, you know, you this is the guy that you really should do. But it did happen when apartheid was, was still still happening. So. I doubt if he was living in the townships. You know, I doubt that that was a situation where he was able to really immerse himself in South African life South and Afri- South African culture. So it was, of course, dependent on the people who are true, who are the real deal in, in this situation. Now, one, one thing that, that came to my mind, which is really funny, so um, Detroit, we're talking about Detroit techno, right? right. Um, but there's Motown. I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with Motown. Yeah, Motown is Detroit before Detroit techno. But there's a little connection with South Africa. I think it was called Chizza Sound. And that was Hugh Masekela's label. And it was distributed by by Motown. And I think the song was Wade in the Water or uh, it was a big hit from Hugh Masekela that was actually distributed by Motown. And when I found that out, because I love, I love Hugh Masekela, and it, it just really kind of freaked me out, like that connection, because we were playing Don't Go Lose a Baby in the Club and stuff. You know, that was my jam. The electronic jam! <laughs> Masekela, yeah, we love that. But um, yeah, it, it's like that Detroit connection came up, and it's like, oh, this is, this is probably why I'm hearing it. and there had to have been something sure, sure. there that, that felt great. Um, he was he was from this area or from? From yeah. from Johannesburg. He was from Johannesburg, okay, great, fantastic. Yeah.
0: Well, I love that we're talking about, um, you know, or tracing back. I love that, um, with your story about Graceland and your story about Huma Sekela and it's uh, not a story it's fact it's a well (laughs) it's a fact human man it's a fact thank you for the correction we're dealing
1: (laughs) in reality here (laughs) we're dealing
0: in reality and i mean we're here obviously because of black history month celebrating all black digital the african special Um, and part of that is to raise fans for yeah. Bridges for <laughs> Music, <laughs> who are really <laughs> big on education. And mm. this whole conversation has been an education, for me at least. And I'm sure everybody has, has picked up something that they didn't know before. So um, how important is education within the African electronic music space? We've talked about the creation of the music. We've talked about where it could go. But what's the role of education in that?
3: Well, it's quite important, you know, uh, I mean, just looking at that, how music has, has has evolved, you know. It's very important because, I mean, we, in, in the past years we've been dealing with, uh, you know, guys that are uneducated, you know, with a passionate talent, just wants to produce. And lately with the technology, getting your music out there is quite easy. However, you know, people need to generate revenue for themselves, you know, they need to understand the business side of things and that's where Bridges kind of like comes in, you know, and also just uh, the equipment themselves, making them available, you know, and because not, not every young kid can have a computer and have a, a software to produce music on, or I mean, one being a DJ, it's not easy to get a CDJ 2000 Nexus Pioneer, you know, so it's very important uh, for, for, for spaces such as the Bridges Academy that we have in Langa And soon, actually, we're going to be having it here in Johannesburg, just here at (laughs) Cornhill. Something that we're working on is very important uh, because we feel that that will actually, you know, uh, help the youngsters create more, you know, and also not only within the music uh, education, but also bringing in mindful um, elements in it as well. Because most of the guys that we are dealing with are coming from disadvantaged communities and it's all funny earlier on today, just taking the tour uh, around, just realizing where we come from, you know, it brings back that trauma. And sometimes we have to deal with those trauma, hence we, you know, uh, bring in the mindful element in, in our program as well. So yeah, it's very important that we, we start planting the seeds now so that our music can actually be taken internationally. And yeah, we can be proud of it and make sure that it stays there.
2: Thank
0: you. I know you've joined the Bridges for Music family. Um, How important is education to you? Where did you receive your music, music business? Oh my goodness. Music navigation, (laughs) (laughs) education.
2: (laughs) I think I'm a professional hacker. I don't know. There's obviously genetics and there's community and receiving music and yeah, and its function and how the home operates, you know. I think we all have that as a gift in a lot of African families. Well, in any kind of gathering, you'll find that there's music. But I'm a bit of a late bloomer, music-wise. I started learning guitar um, as a frustration, uh, because I, everybody around me didn't want to create. I was friends with music students. They always seemed too tired to make music. So I started learning guitar so I could say some of the things that I wanted to say and create when I had time. But you know, falling in love with music has changed my life because I'm seeing how this and, and this passion that I have for the entire value chain has led me to understand, you know, like how many opportunities there are for young people, and that visibility for all those opportunities is important. So I want to amplify. I want to, you know, I want to assist in kind of like making that back end, making the value chain a more sustainable one, mm-hmm. making it available to. Young people and 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 obviously the relationship between myself and and Bridges for Music. In fact, the relationship with our Black and Bridges is a natural one because we care about those things. We're really we're we're trying to look at the future of what a like live music practitioner in Africa, what an independent mu- a musician in Africa, what the futures what the future holds. And so any space that's ready to imagine, to equip, and to inspire, we're there alongside it. And and, and I think the practical elements of education is, you know, first you look at the health of the person, you inspire them, you equip them with the knowledge, and then you give them avenues to, to express that. And, and Bridges is doing that, and the partners around Bridges are doing that. And I think having conversations like this, where we link all these things together, and we see where we all, you know, what the connection point is, what the common denominator is, it's essentially a love for mm. the culture, it's a love for the music, and it's a, it's a belief in how it can change society.
3: And also like, so sorry, just to budge in there. I mean, I'm, I'm quite sure most, like most of the guys who are like kind of like in the ages or older than Carl, you kind of like navigated yourself in the, into the industry. You never had a formal type of a training, you know, being learning the do's and don'ts. I'm not saying there's any rights or wrong in the industry, but I think it's about time now we start formalizing these things, you know, having such spaces within the township, you know, and also just changing the the, 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 the geographic, you know, ways, because I mean, coming from a disadvantaged community from a township, you know, you'd learn after passing your matric and then you go to CBD to look for a well-equipped school or work, you know, but now things are changing. Having such facilities in the township, not only, you know, elevates the music industry, but also change the economy of the township.
0: Thank you. Well, we've reached the end of our talk Oh.
1: Yes.
0: last words from you. Uh,
1: it's wonderful to be here in South Africa, Joe Burke, hanging out with my new friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. I'm sorry? For giving you the facts. Giving you the facts, giving you the facts. But I will say the last thing about the education aspect of it. Um, I'm happy that Bridges uh, for Music is doing what they do um, we have something new that's happening in Detroit. Uh, Wajid started Underground Music Academy, and um, I believe the idea is, is uh, going to be similar to what you guys are doing here. And what I would love to see is there be a network between Detroit and Joe Burke and anywhere else is out out there because you know the way the music industry used to work in the U.S. especially when you were selling black records that they had a network of mom and pops that they went through. So you wouldn't see Egyptian Lover Records at Musicland or Sam Goody or anything like that. You'd have to go to uh, Buy Right Records. You'd have to go to mom and pops and they had this network and I think the networks now you know we have internet network, but there needs to be that real physical network that happens in the education front. Um, also, what, I don't know if you guys are doing this, um, and I'm not sure if Wajid will do it, but the, the, the situation that we have with musicians is that we feel that we can do everything, right? And by feeling that we can do everything, sometimes the people that should be in managerial roles aren't. Protein. Yeah, they're, not, they're not in they're our not, community. They're not even True. trained. They're not even trained. Yeah. Yeah. So not only training musicians to be great thinkers, yeah. there should be people that are True. S- that are Educated to be managers, educated in music publishing. Exactly. You know, and all the. We call mastering records dark arts, Mm. but the business side is supremely dark. Exactly. Because there's so much money and so many places that we can't even imagine because we don't have time to imagine because we're trying to learn Ableton or Logic or Pro Tools or we're trying to learn how to. EQ a sound correctly. Yeah, you know, place mics as well as be creative. <laughs> you know, as well as you know, knowing what notes are within a, a C minor. Sure, sure. Trying to knowing, get a gig, at Trying to get gigs. You know, <laughs> trying to you know what what we were talking about concert A four forty. You know, yeah. we're trying to like understand these things within the world of what makes. Mm our creative aspect of it, but in order to be better creative people, we need people behind the scenes that are, that know how to do the business. Kanye didn't get to where Kanye is because Kanye was doing the little intricacies of the business stuff. True. You know, he had, because he was commercial enough, he had the people coming to him and then people looking out for him. Jay-Z has people looking out for him, you know? So with, Within that world, there should be focus on how to get people who might not be as good in music to focus yeah. on the dark arts, focus on the accounting, getting the True. accounting stuff right. you know I mean, i i I flew by the seat of my pants. I own the record label. i we own the booking company, you know all these things. But sometimes just sitting down like, God Spitches. the accountant is asking me for all this stuff for taxes. I haven't made tracks in months, yeah. you know, and I gotta do this? No. You know. <laughs> so there's, there's a, a, a whole world of things that should be focused mm. in on. Yeah. And I hope that, that uh, you guys will have a program like that. I hope that Wajid will have a program like that for his thing um, and anybody else that's, that's yeah. you know, doing what you guys are doing, I, I really yeah. look forward to seeing that progression yeah. happen. So,
3: so actually, we do have a program like that. So, our, our music, our music MBA program, uh, which runs for five months, is actually that, uh, because you know every youngster who wants to be in the music industry, they they want to be the singer, they want to be the DJ yes. in front, but they're not aware, you know, of the other careers behind. And I think one of the reasons we actually started the program was to expose you know the the young talents to unseen careers you Mm -hmm. know so we don't only just take someone with a musical background uh, we also try to create a supply chain amongst the students we take 20 per intake and we always encourage collaborations you know Mm -hmm. because you might be the good singer but uh, the person next to you who's good at talking might be your manager, Mm -hmm. And the great way to create the team is working together or you might have a designer within the same intake. You can like create a supply chain amongst them or a photographer Mm -hmm. and so forth. Yeah. So it's not only just music, but uh, obviously music is an attraction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we focus on more stuff. I mean, also, it's very important because sometimes you get a lot of musicians who can't even uh, read their bank statement so we do touch on those things and also it's very important for even an artist to understand what the manager's job is mm-hmm. because you know sometimes uh, people have a different understanding they start thinking that they're working for the managers mm-hmm. but it's the other way around so it's very important that we we teach uh, such um, knowledge
1: yeah. sure
0: thank you so much i think that's a very important way to end the conversation because we have a lot of talent in south africa and very few people who know what to do with that talent. So we need to build the infrastructure that will propel them and help them to thrive. And that's def- definitely what Bridges for Music is doing. That's definitely what your contribution is going to to help yeah. towards. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for joining me this afternoon. I am really, really grateful to have had this conversation cool, with thanks, you ma'am. all. Thank you. And thanks. goodbye to everybody. <laughs> <laughs>